Welcome to Two Pizza Marketing, the podcast for small team marketers with hosts Melissa Moody and Ashley McGovern. You might have heard about the two pizza rule, which says the most agile, effective team meetings are ones that are small enough to only need two pizzas for the meeting. Let's get into the marvelous mess that is two pizza marketing. Hey, Two Pizza Marketers. It's your host, Melissa, here today with Connor Coons. He is a marketing peer of mine that has been a real weapon in my arsenal over the last few years. Whenever I need a bright, brilliant idea or someone to tell me that I need to get my together, Connor is there. So Connor is currently head of growth at CareSwitch, and he and I are here to do a part two. Connor, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about what we covered the first time we sat down for the show together? Yeah. So first of all, hi, everyone who's listening. And thanks, Melissa, um, for all the kind things you've said. So I guess briefly recapping here, I don't know, was it like six months ago? Yeah, That's about crazy. That. It's been that long. We did the first episode where we talked about the pivots that we were both uh, being involved in in our companies. And so I work at CareSwitch, which is a pre-Series A SaaS startup that serves in-home senior care agencies. It's not quite home health, but for the purposes of speaking to the language most people understand, I consider it home health. And so we had been sort of disruptors in our industry by selling our software freemium, you know, meaning that it's free and then you can upgrade to something that's premium and pay for. And we had lots of success with user acquisition, but we're having some problems. And so we had to make this huge pivot and we went from um, being this like product-led growth motion with like the very, very smallest users in our industry to suddenly changing and selling at the enterprise level to the very largest potential users in our industry and changed up our whole marketing and sales motion and everything and are even selling a, a totally different platform. And so I'll let you speak to your side of the episode, Melissa, but like, basically we're talking about not just the stress and like the marketing challenges of a pivot that big, but also the emotional toll that it takes and seeing the amount of effort that you've already put in, feel like it's wasted. And so we promised to do a part two where we would follow up on how it's going and how we are doing with it. So here we are. Here we are. That's exactly right. So we really dug into the emotional side of the pivot with our first conversation. And I think today we're going to get into a little bit more of the tactical, how did it go? Did things pan out? What did it look like? What were the challenges? What were the successes maybe? So yeah, for from my perspective, it was kind of a neat, unique episode for me because I got to share some of my side of things as well. The pivot that Gated went through was not so much of a sales model as what Connor has, was facing, but it was much more of a product pivot. So it was within the product itself, moving from an email solution into more of a LinkedIn bio type personal profile page solution. So each of us were faced with a pretty big challenge, especially when you are a PLG expert like Connor is. And then all of a sudden, we're going to be transitioning to an enterprise sales model. Let's start at the beginning and do a little bit of a recap with what do you think for each of us, what was the first one to two things that we actually put in motion? Once we knew these pivots were happening, once the company said, this is the direction, there's no more question marks, 
What were the one to two things that we did on our end to say, okay, I'm getting ready? What What did you springboard off of at the beginning? I think I probably cried. <laughs> right, there's that. Yeah, there was a breakdown that happened for both of us. Sure. Okay, here's an example from my end. I remember that, you know, obviously one of the things that we all do as marketers is go to the customers. And so with our first iteration of Gated, it was so much customer love. So the first thing I did was I sat down with probably 10 to 20 people that I thought would be the next target customers because we were really shifting our product. And I just peeled back so many layers. I mean, I went right back to the drawing board of uh, what does the customer want? Anything else that you did when you first heard the news? So we were kind of taking a risk in the sense of, well, of we were deciding to build some things that there wasn't necessarily demand for yet, sort of in the spirit of like the Henry Ford line about if I asked people what they wanted, they'd ask for a faster forks, you know? Yep. And so there was only a degree of like customer research that would have helped here. And so yep. some of it, we were just kind of like, we think this will work. We think people want it. We can synthesize different things people have requested and say this would solve it, but it's not something they're going to ask for. So rather than doing too much of that, we really concentrated on how do we tell our existing user base that they're not our focus anymore and, you know, try and do right by them as much as possible, mm -hmm. but also not expend resources into an area that we weren't going to be moving anymore. And so we had to figure out the right customer communications. We had to set timelines on certain features and stuff we were going to sunset so that they wouldn't be costing us anymore. And then I think the first really big thing was to build the website. Well, well to rebuild the website because it was all just so different and who we were marketing to is different. And so we just started from ground zero and didn't wait. Oh my God. I want to jump into that because starting from ground zero on a website is a huge... Just a quick rewind, though. I do remember from our last episode, you, you that was a big concern for you because you had built up so much brand equity and like customer love. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what you were incredibly talented at doing. How did you end up telling that group? Did you try to even bring them along or was it just a fond farewell? Well, yes, there's kind of two answers there. So since it was a free platform that we had like a gazillion people on and then there was a small percentage of them who were actually using our paid features mm -hmm. that took considerably more resources and support from us to maintain. We set a fairly tight timeline for the paid features where we said, hey, like as of this date, we aren't going to offer this anymore. We're happy to point you in the right directions of some alternatives. And since we were sending them to our former competitors, we knew all the good information to tell them of here's the pros and cons of each of these. And so that, that did, I think, help to smooth things over a little bit because we were still able to be helpful to them and show that it wasn't, you know, we weren't just trying to like screw them over. And then with the free user, we basically said like, we'll leave this on for a good amount of time, but we're not going to do any more updates to this. And eventually we're going to sunset the platform you're using and we'll give you more information of like when that comes. We also kind of said, look, like we've realized there's this huge, huge opportunity with artificial intelligence. So spoiler, because that's what everyone on LinkedIn is talking about right now. It was like a something that we saw as an opportunity based on like the chance to use artificial intelligence that we were pivoting to. And so we basically just said, we see this huge opportunity. 
Um, we're going to invest in this. We think it's going to do awesome things for the industry, but it takes a lot of resources and focus. And what this means is that we're going to have to change who we're spending our time and resources on mm -hmm. because we have to work with some of the larger users first mm -hmm. um, who have the resources to help us make this happen. And in time, we'll kind of slowly make this available to everyone again. And now that was kind of the best way we could communicate it. And people were okay with it, but there was definitely some negative word of mouth and some frustration and I don't blame them. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, especially when, you know, when you're working with a free product, there is a little element of, okay, it's a free product. But I think what yeah. the way that you communicated it too is the transparency, being able to just be transparent with people, especially it goes a long way to say, hey, just to remember, we are a startup. We are trying to succeed in a tough economic environment and we have to make hard decisions. Doing that transparently sometimes feels rough or almost like you're sharing too much. But I do think it is nice because it's just it's honest, right? It's not you, you wouldn't want to shut down something, but you can't. You have to prioritize. You've got to focus on the large customers. And that's the direction. And that's something that I think we had to do in this case, not just because, you know, being transparent is usually the right thing to do, but because our industry is so niche that in lots of cases, the really small businesses that we had been marketing to and the huge enterprises that we're now marketing to are often still learning from some of the same sources and consuming some of the same content are in some of the same Facebook groups. And so they were still going to see all that negative word of mouth. And so we needed to contextualize it in a way that wouldn't turn off the new prospects that we were going to be pursuing. Yeah. So big lesson from both of us is that transparency is key, especially in a niche market and especially, you know, in respect of the customer, right? It's key. Sometimes it can be awkward. Use humor. We, we found that using humor always helps a little bit, a gentle amount of humor. Keep it, keep it a little bit light, but transparency is key. I want to go now to the, those dramatic words that you uttered a few minutes ago, the website. I think you said we built a website, we built another website completely from scratch. Any marketer listening to our episode is going to be cringing as they hear those words. <laughs> I was going to ask you to talk about these successes or failures, but talk to me just about the website first. I bet it was a bit of both. How, I mean... How did you psych yourself up and dive back into that? Because that is a massive undertaking, especially it was kind of like your second website in a couple of years, right? Yeah, less than that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, first of all, I get that like saying we're going to pivot. All right. The first thing we're going to do is rebuild the website is not the best practice here. I fully understand that. And that's something to be avoided usually, but just. For whatever reason, in this case, with the degree of change and all of the kind of nuances of this, it just felt right. I think part of it is that we needed something that would be so drastically different mm. to kind of reset a lot of things about our brand and stuff. Yeah. And it did kind of come with a little, uh, a little bit of a brand refresh too. But so it also helped that we have like some super talented designers and engineers on the team who could make it go pretty quickly. And so it would be different if it were just me and I was like trying to do all this myself, but I, I probably had the easiest role of like the three of us of like me and like the design guy and the engineer. And so we, we built the whole thing in about five days, give or take, which again, I, I know isn't normal, but it just, 
worked out in this case. It was a fairly simple site. We were trying to keep things streamlined. And I think it was the right move because it, it gave us the chance just to rethink some of the small details and things like that and revisit some of the aspects of the brand we wanted to refresh <laughs> in a way that allowed the new version to not only like look super cool, but to echo this message of it's time for the industry to embrace artificial intelligence that we wanted to evoke. And so it, we did get a huge amount of traffic and traction, like those first days of it being launched, uh, uh, partly because the bar is pretty low for websites in our industry. And so people would go to the site and be like, whoa, this is cool. And it just looks so forward and, you know, futury and techy that they just like send it to their people that they knew. So, yeah. Oh, the beauty in standing out when you, when you have an industry that's, that's not stepping out <laughs> of the box, that's, that's a good win. I mean, I think that's the second lesson there too, is just freaking go for it. Build your website in five days. There is so much you could over question, you could overwork, you could have concern around the full brand refresh. No, just do a couple tweaks, move in the direction you want to move and get it out the door. I love it. I love it. Tell me a little bit about the outcome. How, how has the pivot gone? Do you feel things are rolling in the direction you had, you had hoped they would? Short version, yes, but let me give a couple disclaimers here. The first is that I was kind of against a lot of things about this pivot. On the internal side, I argued for a different direction. And so I kind of want to be clear about that to avoid the self-aggrandizement that can come with talking about some of the results because it was in spite of me in a lot of ways, not because of me. Then also on top of that, everything I'm going to say here is kind of preliminary because at the end of the day, we're VC funded, we live or die by funding. And the true test of whether this has been successful is if it helps us get funding, you know, which is something that will cross soon, but not yet. So that being said, we've seen really strong results. I mean, I mean, they've like really validated the pivot. To oversimplify things, the reason we pivoted was just because uh, the customers we were pursuing were so small that even when they had willingness to pay, it just wasn't producing or showing signs of producing the sustainable revenue that, you know, we were going to need to do anything meaningful or to show to investors. And so, you know, we went with something that could be sold at a much larger price point and, and, and more scalably. And we've, I mean, basically in our pipeline right now, we have give or take like five of the top 10 like franchises in our industry. And then also a handful of some of the largest and highest profile individual businesses. And at that scale in this industry for this type of software, they all pilot first. And mm -hmm. so we're not out of the phase yet where they would be done piloting and be signing contracts or not, but we have like kind of the dream portfolio mm -hmm. of, of pilot customers right now. And I mean, at the point that we, that there have even been discussions on the inside on like, should we continue to market how we are or do we not need any more leads for a while? So it's, I mean, it's definitely validated the strategy. Yeah, that's marvelous. I mean, and huge congratulations, especially for, you know, in B2B, just seeing your pipeline with some logos in it is really nice. And that is validating, especially 
you know, part of the reason we even talk about pivots, the reason we as marketers have to deal with pivots is because those of us that are living in this VC funded world or any kind of investment funded world, the pivot is chasing the success that is being demanded of us by this investment strategy. You know, if we were bootstrapped or building, building with a five to six year growth plan, it would look really different. But when you're trying to secure that investment funding, you have to show them something really good. And so congrats. I mean, to be able to say, okay, the logos are, are interested. We are, we've made a splash in the industry. Like we made a real step forward in the industry that's been, you know, whether from a brand or an AI standpoint and has been lagging. Those are definitely all things that as a marketer, you are bringing to that next round of investment, right? And it's not just the companies out there running. I think every marketer that is going through a pivot knows that they are a critical piece to selling into the next round of funding. Whether, whether you get it or not, a lot of it depends on the perception. So yeah, excellent work there. I will, I'll throw out a few minutes of slight, slightly different. We, we went through, took a big swing at a pivot and it didn't totally pan out. Not for lack of a good product, but for that point of the VC element, you have to prove really dramatically that there is success, that there is opportunity. And if you can sort of prove something and it's sort of good, that might be fine for a bootstrap product or a slow growth revenue product. But for a VC funded world, you got to show something really, really big to grab those investors. So the one thing that we often bring up on this show is the marketing mess and the thing that went really messy. Now, it sounds great. I know you did all the hard work. I'm sure it was lots of hard work. Tell me about a little bit of a mess that came in this stage of the pivot. What was something that you were like, oh boy, I'm going to have to clean this up um, or, oh man, I did not expect that to hit, hit the fan. Anything fun that you can share with us? What's interesting here is that this simplified our marketing so much mm. that it actually got rid of a lot of our marketing messes. That's been one of the biggest things I've learned is that in some ways, my job has actually gotten much easier because after the pivot, we were way more clear on who we were trying to target, who the, you know, how we're qualifying people, things like that. And so there were all these things that I almost didn't realize were messes before until we changed this. And then I was like, oh, this is way better. Yeah. You know, it's taking me a third of the time to do some of this because we're just focused on the right efforts. Now, that being said, we kind of got lucky that so much of what we were doing in marketing, we could still uh, keep and repeat after the pivot. You know, we mm -hmm. could use a lot of the same content and content and things. But like everything else, everything else that touches marketing had to change. And so my role is a little bit bigger than marketing here. It also encompasses sales and some other things. Um, and so the marketing side was great where it was kind of streamlined and focused and just more clean. But then the implementation and the sales and the support and success, like everything else there, we just had to like reinvent basically from scratch. That was made much easier because we have a great head of partnerships who basically stepped into a sales role and has kind of done both and just rocked it. And so she's helped us to reshape our sales pipeline into what it needs to be, where it's kind of this quasi partnership thing. But marketing got lucky in this instance. 
everything it touches had to be rebuilt. That is absolutely fascinating. I think it makes perfect sense. You're right that the sales and support processes would be totally different in the face of an enterprise sales motion. When you go through a pivot, I think there is always a little bit of a fear that, you know, the team's skill set won't match what's needed with the next stage or that you're going to need to bring in something else. Sounds like you had the right people in place to make that shift without too much upheaval. Is that right? For the most part. So we we did have to make some changes. At the time that we made the pivot, we had an account executive who was great on the SMB side and likes being on the SMB side. And so the like the needs did change there and she's super capable. And, and so we offered her a position to be involved in what the pipeline was changing to with the understanding that what her current position was, was being eliminated. And she kind of thought out about it and decided that it wasn't the fit for her. And, you know, which is fine. I, I support that. And we've been able to figure it out, uh, you know, with a different team member, like I said. And then likewise, we kind of had to make some changes as far as we had open positions on the sales and on the supported success side, Mm -hmm. but before the pivot that we basically put on hold for the foreseeable future as those things are run by some of the leadership team while we're piloting with like huge clients. So some changes, but nothing like earth shaking. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What are some of the tactical things that you have in place now for this more of the enterprise sales motion that, or not just sales, but the whole go-to-market motion? What are some of the tactics that you're using that are really working? Is there anything that's, you know, been super, super sweet? I know you've got all the logos you need and we're putting pause, but no, in general, like what were some of those pieces that fell into place that you've been very happy with tactically? So... I've always just loved content marketing. That's always kind of been at the center of my skill set. And so while there are different ways that we might have marketed it before and after the pivot, we just went hard on content marketing. And the point that we even took like what started out as our podcast and turned it as this sub brand that was all about learning to run these businesses. So home care is what our industry is called. And so we started this thing that we named Home Care U, and that became like the sub brand that houses our podcast, that houses our content and everything like that. And it mirrored what we see in the brands within our industry that are strictly there for content and education. And I mean, basically sustain themselves off of ads or selling content and stuff. Where we weren't doing that, we were producing similar quality of content. You know, it got really popular. Mm-hmm. And so by marketing this home care you brand first, and then mm-hmm. kind of like second to that marketing the care switch brand, we kind of grew or regrew our footprint really fast and with lots of goodwill, which we needed, especially where we'd already done this big pivot, dumped a bunch of customers. And so marketing through the sub brand there has been a huge for us. The podcast is super popular. It's already like the top rated podcast in our industry. And like virtually all of our sales calls will say something like, yeah, I listen to every episode of your podcast or I, uh, whenever you send me an email with a blog in it, I get excited and read it right then. People love it. And so we've just done that and it's worked pretty well. And everything we have comes through inbound or some really light outbound that Mm. leans on the content still. 
is there anything that you could share that you did especially that makes it stand out? Or do you think part of it is due to the fact that just within the industry, there was room to to be that content leader? What's what's your take on it? Is there something special that you, some magic sprinkle that Connor brought? <laughs> so you're asking, well, is it that good or is it a low bar? <laughs> no, I was praising it. I think we've all looked at that though. I mean, like, was it just time for somebody to stand out, right? Was it time for somebody to do something great, not low bar, great? Or, you know, is there something that you differentiated that, that you consciously like pulled apart from others? I would say it's a combination of several things and like not to cop out, but it's kind of a mixture of the two answers. So for one, to be fair, yeah, we are a niche industry and kind of an industry that's typically several years behind when it comes to marketing and technology trends. And so you can take the things that you're watching being done in SaaS marketing, like really forward thinking SaaS marketing brands that have been being done for like two years and then use them in this industry. And people are like, whoa, that's so cool. And so there definitely is the element of and so we had a lot of those success by not measuring our efforts against our competitors within the industry, but by measuring our efforts as far as content and brand go against the best SaaS brands we could follow. And that was huge for the mindset. Mm. So when are we getting a home care industry TikTok, right? <laughs> That's the next hot name. We've, uh, we've actually thought about that one and done a lot of research into it, but that's a whole now, other discussion. I know. Without going into that discussion, now that I think about it, I don't know that I would create content for there because that's not what most of us go to TikTok for. But there may be something around influencers. There may be something about like existing brands grabbing some of that airtime. Good thinking. TikTok for another day. Well, I want to keep us on track because two pizza marketers always have a ton to do. Yes, you listeners, I know you've got a lot on your plates and we are glad you joined us here today. Is there anything else you want to shout out about where people can find you, learn more about what you're building or any, anything else you want to share with the audience? You can just follow my LinkedIn. I'm, I'm sure we can put the link in the notes or something. I'm not doing a lot to follow outside of my industry stuff right now. I'm just going to be honest here. So pretty heads down right now, but I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn and hope this has been valuable for people. Yeah, I just have to say here, it's actually strange to me when I go on and I don't see Connor on LinkedIn because for a long time, he, as he mentioned, he puts out incredible content. It's thoughtful. It's funny, which makes my day. So I don't know. I feel a little bit sad that we've lost you to the home care industry and you're so heads down right now. But I would give you a follow anyway, because I know one day you'll be back dropping some good memes and keeping, keeping us laughing. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much for well, that's joining. That's very appreciated. Thank you so much for joining. It was great to talk with you again. And I love having these sessions where we get to get real about what it looks like behind a pivot. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, Two Pizza Marketers. If you liked the episode, it would mean a lot to us if you take the time to leave a review. And if you have any questions or topics to suggest, we're always happy to hear from you. So send us an email at two, that's the number two, pizzamarketers at gmail.com. And until next time, keep having fun and try to stay sane in the marvelous mess that is two pizza marketing. Do you want to amplify your podcast or LinkedIn posts? With Nuttree, now you can. Harness the power of your biggest supporters to boost your brand awareness. Invite your team members and friends and easily send requests to promote your content. Install the Google Chrome extension and easily share content in one place. 
Plans start at just $5 a month, but use code LIFTOFF to get a free month now. Check it out at GetNutTree.com. Did I mention this is built by your very own host, Melissa Moody? Learn more about it at NutTree.